Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. Well, we brought you most of the great uh, radio comedy teams, Lum and Abner, Amos and Andy, uh, Burns and Allen, Abbott and Costello. But here's one we haven't brought you until now. Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore. The two were first paired by Camel Cigarettes in 1943 for the Camel uh, Caravan Show. This was not by any means a natural uh, pairing. This was something the network had uh, directed. And unlike um, most things uh, the network uh, networks direct, uh, this actually turned out well. Well, initially, they were a little unsure of each other, particularly Moore, who was only 28 at the time, and wondered, you know, about being paired with a 50-year-old Jimmy Durante. But uh, Durante's warmth and personality, the type of person he was both on and off mic, really made the relationship work. And they were a very popular team during their four years together from 1943 to 1947. And uh, there are still tributes in other parts of pop culture. If, as uh, I did, you grew up watching uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you'll remember Augie Doggy and Son. With Augie Doggy having a voice reminiscent of Jimmy Durante and in referring to his son as Junior, which, as we can see, is something that the writers picked up from this show. Uh, this program was a war bond rally uh, that aired for Rexhall Drugs, their new sponsor. It was original air date, June the 15th of 1945. So here now is Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore. Hey, Moore speaking. Hello, Junior. This is Jimmy. Jimmy Durante, where are you? I can't get down to the bond show. I was at the beach and three girls buried me in the sand. Well, so what? So come and get me. I forgot where they buried me. <laughs> From the Fox Beverly Theater for the mighty seventh floor loan, your Rexall Drugstore presents Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore. Before an audience of 1,500 people, all of whom bought a bond for their admission, it's Jimmy Durante, Gary Moore, Jerry Sullivan, Roy Bargie and his orchestra, and yours truly, Howard Petrie, brought to you by your friendly Rexall Drugstore. Rexall, an old familiar name that has always stood for quality and value. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as co-star of the Seventh War Loan Rally, we bring you a young man whose brain is just like a war bond. In another ten years, it'll mature, too. And here he is, Gary Moore. Well. Thank you. Thank you very much, my friends, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Delighted to be with you, and especially delighted to see so many bond buyers here in our theater audience tonight. And to start things off in a proper mood, friends, I'd like to ask everyone who has come here to our theater tonight to please rise to their feet. Will everybody please stand up all together, please? If you will, up in the balcony, too. Thank you. Now, will you please push back your seats? Push your seats up, if you will, will you? Push your seats up. Now, just stand aside and let me look there for a minute. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Gary, what are you looking at? Howard, Howard, just look under those seats. Look under those seats. That's the first chewing gum I've seen in four years. It is a thrill to think that someday my pictures may be showing in this very theater. Your pictures? Well, Gary, you haven't made any. Well, not yet, no. But just this morning, I went out to MGM to have a fitting for my first screen work. You did? Yeah, and believe me, that's hard work, fitting screens. <laughs> Gary, 
Capital, but you know how it ends our broadcast. They're going to show a special movie preview in this theater. Oh, there you are, Mr. Moore, you delightful creature. <laughs> tonight. Frankenstein takes a bride. Now, listen, Mr. Moore, I'm even lucky to be here. Why, I just got give her the skin of my teeth. Your teeth? Well, in the words of Winston Churchill, never have so many owed so much to so few. <laughs> but tell me, tell me, Mrs. Wertherbird, why, why didn't your husband Wilberbud come with you tonight? Oh, he couldn't, poor boy. He's working down at the blood bank. Huh? He sits there all day under a big sign. Well, what does the sign say? It says, if you look like this, don't bother. <laughs> I'm glad you're here anyhow. Now, why don't you go take a seat out in front for the rest of the show, huh? Oh, my. It's so wonderful being in a movie theater. Yeah. I keep hoping to meet my dream man, someone like Ronald Coleman. And the minute I meet him, he'll sweep me in his arms and kiss me and kiss me and kiss me. Oh, boy, I'm cooking with gas. You're not only cooking with it, you're inhaling it. So is Mrs. Weidelberg, and back to the audience, we can concentrate on stage center and the one and only, Jimmy Durante, in Going as a paid political announcement by the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. Guys, <laughs> smiling at me. Sure, Jimmy, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you really should let me do the singing on this show. Why, your voice is nothing more than gastritis in tempo. Junior, I'm sorry you said that, because I've heard you sing, and believe me, for your voice, Beethoven wouldn't give a beat, Wagner wouldn't give a wag, and damn Rush, he wouldn't like it either. <laughs> Second thought, maybe you're right. Neither my voice nor my health has been up to par lately. Well, then why don't you go see a doctor? I did. I saw Dr. Ballon. One flight up out of the high-rent district. <laughs> and what an examination he gave me. He looked at my nose and said, inhale. And what happened? I don't know. We haven't seen the doctor since. <laughs> if I wasn't tired, I'd have got the noise, too. <laughs> myself a quick diagnosis. Yeah. I said to myself, Durani, you're tired. Why don't you take off some time and spend a quiet day at the beach? I see. You said to yourself, Durani, you're tired. Why don't you take off some time and spend a quiet day at the beach? Mr. Moore, you remind me of a parrot I once slugged on Meatless Tuesday. <laughs> to continue, I went to Pismo Beach, yeah. which is near San Badu. <laughs> and having an eye for culture, I selected a spot near some beautiful girl. Oh, Jimmy, the girls are really wearing scanty bathing suits this year, aren't they? Yes, Scanty and skimpy, too. While I was playing in the sand, not looking for any trouble, I happened to pick up a loose thread. And what happened? Before I knew it, I unraveled three blondes. <laughs> Me, who, who can't even crochet. <laughs> That relaxing is all right, but it's the swimming that puts the hustle in your muscles. I was just coming to that, Garrison. You should have seen the classy new bathing suit I wore. I was the envy of the beach. You were? I had pearl buttons on the sleeves. Pearl buttons on the sleeves? Jimmy, that's no bathing suit. You were wearing a long suit of underwear. I was? No wonder I kept so many fish in my back pocket. <laughs> but going from the reed to the thiculus, yes. I jumped into the water with a tail tied from a bathing suit. You see, I was doing the dog paddle. <laughs> and what happened? 
I find myself face to face with a great big swordfish. Well, see, where's what happened? Just as he was about to attack me, he took one look at my schnozzle and said, I quit. You've got a superior weapon. <laughs> I was so mad I bit his tail off. <laughs> In the swordfish, did you run into any other interesting people? Any, uh, shall we say, pulchritudinous femininity? No, nothing but girls. <laughs> a few yards down the beach, a bunch of bathing beauties were practicing a water ballet. What designs they made. First a daisy, then a star. And finally, those beautiful girls made a human wheel complete with spokes. And boy, did I have fun with that wheel. Really? Yeah, shake hands with the Randy the Hubcap. <laughs> Lucky Jilly. <laughs> Lucky Jilly. But I soon tired of sashaying La Femmes and decided it was high time to take my son back. Well, I suppose you took all the necessary precautions against overexposure of the epidermis to the sun. It can certainly make a simple question sound classy. <laughs> Irregardless, I looked up and the sun is shining. I'm ready for my sun bath. I take off my cap, I put on my sunglasses. I take off my robe, I put on the olive oil, which I squeezed by hand, and lies down. No sooner than I'm flat on my back when along comes a cloud. No sun. It's spike work in the stratosphere. So I get up, I take off the oil, I put on my robe, I take off my glasses, so I put on my cap at a saucy angle, and what happens? The cloud moves away and out comes old Sal again. What a small world. So once more I take off my cap, I put on my sunglasses, I take off my robe, I put on the olive oil, which I squeeze by hand, and lies down. Tragedy strikes again. Along comes another cloud and again no sun. I'm beginning to feel like Eddie Cannon. So once again I take off the elevator. I put on my robe, I take off my sunglasses, and I put on my cap. I'm just about to give up when finally the clouds disappear and the sky is clear. So once again, I take off my cap, I put on my sunglasses, I take off my robe, I put on the olive oil, which I squeeze with my bare hands, and lies down. But Junior, it's no use. I still didn't get a sunburn. Well, why not? By this time, it's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now you know that now in a mighty seventh arrangement of Like Us the Band.
knock, Keston. What a job that boggy's got. Such steady work. <laughs> what do you mean, Jimmy? In the winter, he uses his baton to lead a band. And in the summer, he sticks a nail on the end of it and picks up papers in the park. <laughs> Tell us, dear Junior, what's in the culture corner tonight? Well, Jimmy, in the past, I've given many lectures of a musical nature, you know. For lovers of the brass section, I once wrote a book entitled, You Can Play the Trombone If You Practice a Lot, But You Can't Just Let It Slide. Tonight, <laughs> 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 uh, right, James, I should like to pay tribute to that most beautiful of all instruments, the human voice. Go ahead with your lecture. I shall listen with my ear trumpet, but I won't really give a hoot. One particular type of singing, the male quartet, and the man who invented it, Fiber Snide J. Forbel Winder. Let us go back to the year eight, uh, 1814 and the small village of Weasel, Wyoming, which is a suburb of the large town of Goza. <laughs> Fiber Snide Forbel Winder was the leader of the village symphony orchestra, perhaps better known as Fiber Snide Forbel Winder and his photo finish Philharmonic. But there was just one thing he didn't like about his job. It was the concerts he had to conduct each year featuring the town's leading soprano, Miss Letitia Cronk-Squatchett. But during the concert of July 15th, things came to a climax. Miss Cronk-Squatchett started to sing... I have never heard anything like that since my sister backed into an ice pick. One moment longer. And throwing down his stick, Forbel Winder jumped from his podium and ran for the wings. But so great was his haste that he stepped right on the feet of four men in the violin section. And the poor man howled in agony. Oh. Why, it was beautiful. Not one voice, but four voices joined together in harmony. And hardly thinking, Forbel Winder turned around and ran back over their feet in the opposite direction. Oh. Oh. And hysterical, too, for that's the first male quartet was formed. Oh, and what a quartet it was. The men would sit four in a row on the stage with their bare feet in front of them as Forberwinder dashed madly back and forth in his hobnail boots, stamping on the foot of the man whose voice he needed next. And it sounded like this. And after 300 concerts in the art centers of the world, the National Association of Chiropodists examined their feet and proclaimed them America's corniest quartet. <laughs> but then, my friends, it's often been said that even the best of ideas can be used too often. One year later, it happened to Forbewinder in Carnegie Hall. They were singing their own theme song entitled, Was It Malice, Alice, When You Tried Upon My Callus? And in this song, the second tenor was required to hit high C above big toe. So to get this effect, Forbewinder was forced to stamp even harder on the second tenor's foot than ever before. And when he did... <laughs> the second tenor's arches collapsed and the quartet was forced to break up. For after all, who can sing with a second tenor who is always flat? 
Yes, it was a catastrophe. The people booed, the music critics sneered, and Leopold Stokowski went west and married Gloria Vanderbilt. <laughs> but then, at least the idea of harmony had been born, and it grew by leaps and bounds. And today, my friends, when you've got four people, that's a quartet. And when you've got six people, that's a sextet. And when you've got eight people, that's an octet. And when you've got a hundred people, <laughs> yeah, that's a cigarette line. <laughs> music is on tap now, with the words to be sung by a very stirring young lady. In other words, the queen of our charm department, Miss Jerry Sullivan. Jerry Sullivan sings. Here comes number seven, so buy a bond, to buy a chunk of Uncle Sammy's magic wand. Get on the barn wagon, when you hear them yell out. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Come out of your shell and shell out. Here comes number seven. So lend your jack. Choose your jack and Joe and Jim and Johnny back. So make sure at the first dance for the bond away. Cause here comes number seven today. That anybody can afford. Here's the eight. Seventy-five special. That's the price that anybody can afford. Get on the barn wagon. When you hear the And now the Rexall Falls Wig and Bustle Club brings you a stirring detective drama. And titled The Case of the Missing Ring or Who Washed Out the Bathtub. <laughs> uh, well, Junior, I've always Oh, Mrs. Randy, if it isn't you, if it isn't you, if it isn't you. Well, lady, if it isn't, you've certainly made a fool of yourself. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy that I found you, Mr. Boyle, here. I am Mrs. Ipswich Van Middleditch, the second. You're the second? That first one must have been abuse. <laughs> Gentlemen, I am giving a lawn party at my home to my society friends, mm -hmm. and I'd like you to attend and sell war bonds. Charm, to be sure. You see, I'm one of the 399. 
No, we blackballed Reggie Astabilt. Caught the bounder cheating at badminton. <laughs> cheating at badminton, Jimmy, but how? Loaded feathers in his shuttlecock. Mr. Randy, if you and Mr. Moore will write a song about me and sing it at my party, I'll buy a $50,000 bond. $50,000? Why, that runs into the hundreds. Yes, <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's a deal, Mrs. Mayer. Oh, wonderful. Good day. Come on, Jimmy, let's be off to Mrs. Ipswich Van Middleditch's the second. Yes, let's be off to Mrs. Ipswich. What you just said, the second. Well, Junior, here we are. Boy, this sure is a swanky place. I'll say it is. You know, she entertains a lot of Hollywood people here. Right now, Johnny Weissmuller is her house guest. He's living up in a tree. That's natural. But doesn't he get lonely up in the tree? Huh? Lassie lives downstairs. Oh, yeah. Well, we're just in time. The guests are starting to arrive. Mm -hmm. Announcing the arrival of Mr. and Mrs. Peter Van Sweeten the second, Mr. and Mrs. Cheviot Hutchinson the fourth, Mr. and Mrs. Jasper Whitehall the third. Let's get out of here, Junior. There ain't no winner in the joint. <laughs> no, no, Junior. Let's, let's stay and mingle with the debutantes. If I can just find the beautiful blonde society girl, I'll introdu uh, introduce myself to her like a true blue blood. Then I'll kiss her hand, Jimmy, like a true blue blood. Then I'll take her out on the terrace like a true blue blood, and then I'll take her in my arms like a true blue blood, and then I'll... Yes? Plasma, Jimmy. More plasma. <laughs> yes, Junior, you've got something right there. <laughs> Junior, I'm glad to see that you're at home with society people, too. Oh, yes. And while I think of it, Jimmy, when it comes time to eat, you'd better watch me so you don't make any mistakes. All right. For instance, whenever I eat a sandwich, I, I always break it in two and hold it with my fingers. Oh, and coot. I always fold mine in four parts and then stuff it in my mouth. Oh, there you are, Mr. Randy and Mr. Moore. How nice. But why did you come alone? I thought you two were married. Oh, no, we're just awfully good friends. <laughs> oh, isn't he clever? And I'm so anxious to hear the song you've written about me. Have you finished it? Oh, yes. If you'll just write a check for that $50,000 bond, we'll sing it for you. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. Gathered on. Mr. Randy and Mr. Moore are going to sing a song about someone you know. And when you hear the very flattering lyrics, I'm sure you'll guess just who it is. Uh, and Mr. Randy will play the piano. I could have went further, but there ain't enough notes. And, uh, and Mr. Moore will accompany on the drums. Yes. Now, gentlemen, come in. What's the matter? Mr. Moore, you're supposed to follow the two, not chase it all over the joint. Start again, Mr. Moore. while I'm getting sent. <laughs> Jimmy, I, I hate to say this, but you were not only getting sent, you were giving off one. <laughs> like 
life would be in danger if this was a portable piano. Oh, now, please, gentlemen, please, let me hear the song you wrote for me. Very well, we shall begin. Allegretto. She doesn't like a shady joke. She doesn't hide. She doesn't smoke. Oh, is this a right? She doesn't swear. She never flirts. She doesn't wear don't give me skirts. Oh, I love this man. She doesn't dance. She never sings. To her romance don't mean a thing. Don't be too sure. She doesn't use. Don't beauty stand. But refuse to show her care. Well, that's a wow. I'm not singing about you. <laughs> I'm singing about a cow. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Van Averitt. There, there's the song we wrote for your $50,000 bond. What do you think of it? What do I think of it? Play that music again and I'll tell you what I think of it. This could lead to a fractured keyboard. <laughs> Mr. Moore. I'm listening, ma'am. Oh, Mr. D. He must mean me. I've heard the song you wrote for me. Oh, then tell us, Ma. The music drag. Oh, say not so. The lyric creep. You said creep. Yeah, and then the whole darn song just read. What? Well, I'll buy that bond. You buy the bond. Oh, well, understand. You heard it, Sam. But as for you, for one. Back in just a moment. Hey, now who will be with you when we're far away? Eh? When we're, let me hear the high note, my throat. What a note. A delectable note, Mr. Durant. A delightful note, Mr. Moore. I guess this winds up our bond rally. On the air, yes. And first of all, before we do anything, we certainly want to thank everybody for coming down and thank Mr. Louis Grimm, the manager of the theater, for his cooperation. And remember, as soon as this program ends, they're showing a special preview of the screen on the screen here of a new picture starring Lana Turner. Lana Turner? <laughs> There's good news tonight. <laughs> you know, Junior, yeah. I saw that picture out at the studio, and it's very unusual. When the picture comes on the screen, Lana Turner has her back to the audience. Her back to the audience? See you later, Jimmy. Where are you going, Junior? Around the other side of the screen. My boy who said that. <laughs> we'll be looking for you next Friday night, same time, same station, when we'll be back with another Jimmy Durante, Gary Moore show for your Rexall drugstores. In the meantime, visit the friendly Rexall druggist who brings you these programs. And remember, you can depend on any drug product that bears the Rexall name. In drugs, if it's Rexall, it's right. Tune in again next Friday night for Roy Bargey and his orchestra, Gary Sullivan, yours truly, Howard Dietrich, and Jimmy Durante, and Gary Moore. In person, this program is directed by Bill Cohan. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. 
I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, KenCurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, GreatDetectives.net.